Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, everyone? We are back for a, another episode of the Pair Program. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Uh, Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I um, had the in-laws visiting uh, our home out here in Chattanooga this weekend, so played the role of tour guide. Um, you know, it's a bit exhausting, but I was going to ask you, have you ever played that role of tour guide for like friends and family visiting you in, in your hometown? Yeah, I mean... DC people come to visit. There's a lot to do. You have, a, you to, have a go-to. Do you have like a go-to like itinerary? Like this is what we got to go see. Uh, I try. Uh, let's see. Depending on you know, there's some of the Smithsonian's. Obviously, you go down to the mall. It's just kind of easy. And then Air and Space is a big one. But usually, we do the Air and Space out in Dulles, like the annex where they have the space shuttle and all the all the all the stuff that maybe people don't know is out there. So yeah, that's on our list. Um, and yep. then depending yeah. on the year, maybe cherry blossoms or something along those lines. Oh, it's. That's a good one. Yeah, food's kind of the easy option as well. It's just <laughs> like, hey, look, and we're going to stuff our face with as many restaurants as we can within a 72-hour period. <laughs> um, yeah, I live near Boston, and so I'm often doing those tours, and it's always the Freedom Trail and eating lobsters. Eating lobsters. Yeah. Lobster rolls. Love it. Um, all right, well, let's, let's uh, talk about uh, today's episode. So here we're going to be covering a topic that you know, we're going to call like, comparing cultures. Um, so an episode where we're going to be hearing from our two guests who have seen, you know, quite a wide, a wide variety of company cultures, you know, spanning from Fang environments like Google to late stage startup environments like HubSpot, um, and then all the way to some of our favorite environments with early stage startups, you know, those, those companies that are maybe under 20 employees in headcount. Um, so we want to thank our, our two guests today for joining us, Karen Arun. Thank you for spending time with us on the Pair Program. Happy to be here. Thank awesome. you. All right. So, you know, before we dive into the discussion, um, as you are most aware, uh, we are going to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair Me Up. Here's where we go around the room and shout out a complimentary pairing. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, what, uh, what is your pairing for today? So my pairing for today is fidgeting and poker chips. Um, in fact, actually, I keep a set uh, of chips at my desk for... I don't know what it is, but I just fidget all the time and having something to play with that's not too annoying, um, that doesn't get picked up on microphones works for me. So, yeah. <laughs> I bet all your coworkers are happy you work from home. <laughs> you know, I know, it's funny because I never, I never brought them to the office. It was always, it's exactly. always been something at home. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. That's amazing. What's that, that one movie where um, he's always taking his Oreos and he splits them and he's always telling you, don't, don't splash the pot. You um, seen the uh, rounders? No, I've not seen that. Rounders, rounders. Yeah, he an Oreo I wasn't expecting a movie quiz, but luckily I pulled it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Um, cool. I'll jump in. Um, mine is going to be uh, outdoor barbecues and contingency plans. So we hosted a, a neighborhood barbecue this past weekend. Um, we were kind of meeting some of our new neighbors. Um, 
And we had a beautiful weather every day last week leading up to Saturday, which was the day of the barbecue. And of course, um, you know, this monsoon kind of comes through the entire time. It's just pouring rain. And uh, we did have a, a, a contingency plan in place. So we have a, a big deck that overhangs. Um, so we were able to pull the grill under that uh, without getting soaked while, while cooking and then kind of like put the dogs away in a back room uh, so that, you know, most of the main level was laid out and, and folks were able to still enjoy the in, in, indoors of the house. But um, yeah, if you're going to have that, that outdoor barbecue contingency plans in place are pretty, pretty important. Um, still, still went off without a hitch, uh, aside from the, the downpour. Nice. Good call. Um, cool. So let's kick it over to our, to our guests now. And, uh, Carrie, why don't you give us a, a quick intro and, and then tell us your pairing? Sure. So I am the CTO at Vendor. I've been here for a year now. And before that I was VP of engineering at HubSpot for, and I was there for five years. Um, before that, director at security startup, leader at startup uh, at Cisco. I've been at four other startups, and so I just love building things. Um, I was actually the reason I took the leap to go to Vendor was because I was their second customer, so I'd known the company for over three years, and because um, I was negotiating, I had hundreds of of vendors that I was negotiating with. I was performance managing. I was, you know, finding new tools and it was just, I was saving millions of dollars, but it was taking up so much of my time and I wasn't able to work with my team as much and be as strategic. And so vendor saved me a lot of money, a lot of time. And uh, now I'm here to be able to productize away the pain of SaaS buying. I love it. My pairing is actually very related to culture and it is champagne and sabers. Um, so you can see over my shoulder, I have a, a champagne saber here that my team from HubSpot gave me when I was leaving. And on it, it says, Never Split the Difference, um, which is a uh, famous book on negotiating by an FBI hostage negotiator that I highly recommend. But the reason why I have this was because um, when I was running the platform infrastructure teams, um, you know, when you get four nines, you know, HBase is up for it. You get four nine reliability. It's a quiet thing versus when you're having an outages, it's a very loud and a scary thing. And so how do you celebrate, you know, success on a platform team? We came up with a loud way to do that. And that was like champagne sabering uh, based off of milestones. And after, you know, tons of, of bottles and that becoming our thing, you know, the team decided to send me off with my own saber. Oh, that's very awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Any um any HR incidents as a result of the the sabers yeah, no, no, uh, the alcohol? Lost. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> actually yes. <laughs> it wasn't about alcohol, but it was that I did have to take somebody to the urgent care <laughs> to get their their thumb, uh, you know. But after that, you know, they didn't make me stop. It was that we got safety goggles, we got safety gloves, and so the team <laughs> kept shouldering soldiering on. But it was one of those things. It was, you know, the bloodletting for the <laughs> champagne savoring. So it's funny that you asked that. But uh, yes, we're we're gonna pivot the episode. Uh, we're gonna talk about <laughs> this specific experience because it has a uh, uh, sounds like a movie. Um, I think cool. Mike would come out with his dolphin. I would probably get some kind of demerits or something for that. That's amazing. Awesome. That's a great pairing. Um, cool, Aruna. Just a brief intro, and then we will um, uh, hear your pairing. All right. So yeah, so my name is Arun, uh, co-founder and CTO here at Pickspring. Uh, we are an early stage company in the work readiness space. Uh, we're pulling this category that we like to call work readiness, which is all about uh, test work ready, not test ready, uh, allowing large companies to onboard and 
up-level internal and external uh, people on their products and processes. Um, and we, have, we count Google, Facebook, and others as our customers right now and you know, trying to scale rapidly. Um, prior to this, I was part of the founding team at Uber Eats uh, back in 2015, built and launched that product and scaled that from zero to 30 billion in sales around the world. I uh, was a site lead for Uber in New York with about 350 people in tech. Um, and uh, prior to that, I was at Google for a couple of years working on Google Docs and Drive. Um, you use Docs or Sheets and you see a menu that says add-ons or extensions. That's my baby. A uh, small team that built and launched that and got a few hundred million users. Uh, and prior to that, I, I was uh, building a no-code platform from back in the BlackBerry Palm OS days for large enterprises and had a front row seat to the mobile wave, iPhone, Android, iPad, all that happening. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit about my background, um, in, you know, mix of uh, uh, startups and, and big companies and now back to trying to build my own thing, uh, and which is an exciting journey and, and exciting learning a lot. Um, and in terms of my pairing, it's uh, I guess it would be a personal one. It's uh, I would say it's uh, uh, fire pits and uh, a glass of whiskey. Uh, and uh, <laughs> one of the things I realized I keep on my desk is actually like you know bottle caps from you know, Scotch and whiskey bottles, and uh, just fun to fidget around. Uh, so I guess that's my my fidgeting story. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's something about like the the smokiness. Uh, being outside, looking at the stars, uh, you know, makes me, uh, you know, ground me, I guess, a little bit. So maybe, That's maybe it's the alcohol. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but certainly uh, enjoy that. Yeah. I was just thinking, sorry, a new pairing is leadership and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I, just guess, I, I don't think we've done a whole episode where not one person has brought up whiskey or at least alcohol. Right? I feel like, okay. I feel like there's right. always... Yeah. I think we need an official whiskey sponsor, Tim. I think that's what you yeah, need yeah, to yeah. crack it <laughs> We actually do a we do another style called How We Hatch, where it's more of like a, an intimate fireside with one on one with founders, and wow. we're rolling out the new requirement is you have to have a some sort of a, a cocktail or beverage uh, with you <laughs> at all times during the discussion. So yeah. uh, maybe we'll roll that into the pair program as well. Amazing. Have you guys watched Drunk History? I mean, so, I was just going to say, oh, I love so that. Good. Yeah. You can do like <laughs> dr- drunk leadership yeah. podcast. Oh, no good idea. Yeah, oh, good. there you go. That show uh, was underappreciated back in the day. And in the world of podcasts, very appreciated. So. Drunk leadership. Man. Yeah. I see we're, no we're problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how much stuff you're going to strike yeah. out. We'll Nelson. You'll, yeah, you'll get your faces blurred out. Um, <laughs> yeah. No names, no company names are mentioned. Right, right. Yeah. Our, our voices disguised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can just tell this is going to be a good episode. Um, cool. Well, let's yeah, let's uh, I guess you talk a little bit about uh, the the point of of why we've all come together here with comparing some of these different cultures throughout different environments. You know, obviously we're. Um, you know, talking specifically around a lot of, you know, tech and product and engineering teams, um, when we talk about, you know, what the pair program caters to from an audience perspective, obviously, um, you know, uh, we're, we're also just looking at startups and, and how they're different when you look at those uh, environments of bigger tech, um, but startups themselves, right, they, they evolve uh, so quickly and those cultures also change very rapidly. Um, so I, I'm going to start by um, just first a little bit of context. Uh, you all gave a little bit of a, an intro, but 
Um, Arun, real quick, you know, with Big Spring specifically, what is the current size of of your startup and uh, from a headcount perspective, and then maybe just from a funding perspective, just for context for our listeners? Yeah, so we are about 30 people, uh, 29, 30 people uh, across the US uh, and India and, uh, and also Singapore. So uh, three different sort of markets where we're building teams for different uh, sort of uh, disciplines. And uh, we're, uh, you know, the Series A stage company, um, you know, doing our fundraise now actually for Series A and uh, exciting to kind of see that uh, blossom. And uh, in terms of the tech team, we're about, um, about almost a third of that, a little more than a third of that, maybe about 40% of that team is tech. So, okay. Helpful, helpful for our listeners. And, and this is about two years um, now that you started. Uh, yeah, the company's about four years old. Um, I hopped on about 18 months and yeah. Okay, perfect. And then Carrie um, at Vendor, just a little bit of a, a backstory on the size of Vendor, headcount, funding, and then maybe helpful to also hear like the tech team's uh, size. Sure. Uh, so we just closed our Series B, $150 million. Um, the company's been around for approximately three years. Uh, it is nearing 300 people. Um, the the PDE team itself is around 60 or 70 right now. We're growing super fast, but it is that Vendor was historically much more of a services company because it would manage all of the negotiations for uh, on behalf of companies. And so um, we've been transforming it into much more of a product-focused company and just shipped our Vendor 2.0. Very cool. Yeah. So... Um... You know, obviously, that is a, a crazy amount of growth, and you've been there for about a, a year. Is that, yep, is that accurate? Exactly. Um, so let's just, you know, we'll we'll tee one up here. Uh, just, you know, both of you all have worked with very big tech uh, companies in the past. Um, I'd love to just, well, maybe a starting point. You know, what some of those biggest differences have been, you know, in the smaller kind of startup environments in comparison to. You know, some of those things that you've seen deep rooted in some of those larger environments, um, or maybe maybe something uh, that you can start us off with. Yeah. So, so to me, um, there's quite a bit of differences. Obviously, I think uh, between big and small, um, it's it really comes down to I think the simple thing that I've noticed is uh, uh, in a sort of depth versus breadth. Um, at a bigger company, um, you know, you might be part of a team where you might be working with uh, you know, a world-class UX designer, copywriter, researcher, um, you know, uh, accessibility review engineer. And there's like four or five people that'll take you know, the design discipline and split it into sort of you know, a, a narrow but deep slices of the design process, let's say. Um, and that's amazing because you now are able to see the depth in each of that sort of sub-slices of a discipline. Uh, at a startup, the other way around, it's, you know, you may not even have a designer, right? Your product managers, you know, opening up Figma, you know, starting with the template, you know, making some best guess effort of what might work. And then you're optimizing for breadth, right? Like, how do we get something out there so that our users can respond? Um, and that's like a very different strength, I feel, right? Um, and some people are not comfortable with it. Some people have never seen it. Uh, they always are like, oh, do I review this with my, you know, copywriter? Well, there is no copywriter. You know, we need to make our best effort on that. Um, uh, on the other hand, at a bigger company, you can't even, you know, you have to get maybe even sometimes formal approvals 
uh, of a copywriter, right? Um, so this is the sort of like breadth versus depth is something that's very unique. Um, and it's important to really state that because, um, you know, you have to actually want the other if you want to ever make that shift. Uh, you know, when I went from a, a small company where I was there for almost a decade um, you know, to Google, you know, where I went from having written every line of code or reviewed every line of code to just having been like an implicit source of knowledge and authority to Google, which at that point was 40,000 people already. And I was a nobody, right? And I deserve to be a nobody, which is this bunch of other, you know, very credible, capable people building things. And that was a bit of a shock to me, right? I never experienced that where I had a lane and I had to stick to that, right? And I learned how to navigate that and, and get better at it and actually use that to advantage. Um, but it is something that is shocks in both ways uh, when you don't go in without knowing that. So I always bring that up, which is, you know, what are you trying to optimize for? And here's what startups and big companies can offer. Um, and the same goes in engineering, right? If you want to get like super, I mean, I've, I've talked to friends at Facebook and other places, um, and they'll spend 18 months working on a particular database tuning technique, right? And first of all, that problem is just not a problem at most startups. Uh, <laughs> and second of all, 18 months of like anything at a startup is unlikely to be valuable, right? It just things just change much more rapidly. Uh, but at the same time, when you're you know dealing with billions of daily active users, um, that is something that's super valuable. So uh, depth versus breadth is like a, a simple phrase that I'll often bring up. Uh, and size is a big axis where that varies quite a bit. So that's, that's one thing I'll say. Uh, and I'll pause. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's something that we hear quite a bit from the, you know, those pre-seed, seed, those really smaller startups, you know, when they look for some some of these soft skills of, of a technologist, you know, they, they uh, a common word is scrappy. Um, they're like, you know, we want somebody who's not so concerned about they have to be in this lane, uh, but rather, you know, they can adapt when things get, you know, a little bit chaotic and we need you over here and we need you over there. Um, yeah. Scrappy seems to be a, a descriptor that we hear quite a bit. Um, so, Carrie, you uh, you know you worked with Cisco um, uh, for some time, and then HubSpot is you know a, a company that we've I've I've followed for quite some time. Um, I've I've heard their culture is can is touted as as a, a fantastic environment. Um, I'd love to hear from you in in that setting and some of that experience of you know things that you've brought with you from that. Uh, experience at HubSpot. What what were some of the things that stood out to you um, from a culture perspective that you've you've held near and dear to you as you grow in your own teams? Yeah, uh, what I learned most is about being very intentional about culture. So um, HubSpot, being a marketing company from way back, is excellent at figuring out how to phrase things in a way that makes it stick in your mind. And as a leader, you do that even with your values and with your, with your culture. It means that people are able to repeat things to each other and then they keep repeating it to, and it, it makes it so it, it follows through. So for example, HEART is one of HubSpot's famous um, acronyms and it's about hiring people that are humble, empathetic, adaptable, remarkable, and transparent. And um, before joining HubSpot, you know, I could talk about culture at the different startups that I was at, but never in such a concise way. Like there, there were phrases there, customer is greater than company, is greater as team, then team is greater than self. And it just gives you that sense of here's what's, what matters and how you make decisions. 
And so that's the thing that uh, being very intentional about culture really matters. The other thing I learned was about like what you celebrate, you know, matters. And that's, that's the culture that you're creating is based off of what you're celebrating. And so that's why this, you know, uh, champagne saber, we're celebrating, you know, quiet greatness. Um, HubSpot as a whole had on a monthly basis, they would, or quarterly basis, you give peer awards. So you could give, uh, you know, $100 any peer and everybody in the company, you know, got $100 give to somebody else. And you loved giving that to somebody else. And you would do it based off of one of those heart values. And so it kept reinforcing the values over and over. And you're looking for people being remarkable. You're looking for people being, you know, empathetic and transparent. And so, um, yeah, that is what I really took away with me. You know, then when I joined Vendor, it was about, okay, I can't just say this is about heart, but let's be intentional about what is, what is the culture for us. And so we did some um, intentional exercises on figuring out what, what made us great. You know, you would analyze great engineers, great teams, and then also analyze not great engineers and great teams. And then you can bucket that all together and you figure out, hey, this is how people are going to be, you know, they're going to succeed here. One of the, one of the ones that um, is unique is building in public. So being very comfortable and you have to be humble. Um, be, uh, but being able to, you know, put your thoughts out there in a channel, every one of our engineers has a rubber, what we call a rubber ducking channel. And it's really all, of, almost all of the PDE team, product design engineering team does this too, where you're just like talking out what you're doing all day in your own little channel and people will jump in and answer questions, but you have to be humble to be exposing, you know, your mistakes, your wrong tangents. But, but it creates, once you see that everybody's doing this, you know, from top to bottom on the team, it just makes you much more comfortable. And especially in a remote culture, being able to help each other, being able to expose what your problems are, and you can just fix things much, much faster. That's awesome. Do you have, when you're doing that intentionality, I'm curious if, because um, I've worked at plenty of places where um, sometimes some of the cultural values get sort of weaponized. Um, did you go through mm. any exercises around like, is this really what we like? How can this potentially be almost an anti-cultural value that, you know, we don't want turned on people? Yeah. So um, that is really interesting. I hadn't thought about it as weaponized, but one of the one of the values is pursue truth. And um, so we we went through a merger with another company blissfully and they had this uh, and this was in February. Our teams officially became um, to, you know, one team. And uh, they had a cultural value, pursue truth. What we did was we modified it to pursue truth kindly because, you know, <laughs> you want to be pursuing the truth. But if you're doing it in an antagonistic way, you're right. not going to actually get to the truth. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And then people aren't comfortable building in public, you know, making mistakes and learning together. And so honestly, yeah, we did. But it hadn't been because we had seen it being weaponized. It was just more of going from a very small company to, you know, it was like, the, or a small PD team to doubling in size. It was like, hey, how are we going to do this? Um, and remind each other to be kind. Yeah. So it was pursue, pursue truth kindly. Hey, startup techies. Has this podcast inspired you to explore a new startup career opportunity? then make sure to check out myhatchpad.com slash jobs to browse startups by stage, tech stack, and salary. Yeah, I think a lot about, um, you know, from a hiring perspective, right? When, when uh, 
when you're first kind of starting out in room, maybe you can speak to this uh, specifically, you know, as a co-founder, uh, we've seen, you know, those first five to 10, 15 hires, they usually come from the founders network. Um, and so, you know, if it's your university, if it's, you know, your, you know, some folks from Uber, um, what are, what are, would you say are things that, you know, you would feel are really applicable, you know, coming from, you know, let, let's say like a Google or, a, or an Uber, but things that maybe you, you're not going to see as much carry over into, you know, those first 10, 15, 20 s- slots that you're trying to fill in that really scrappy time. Because, you know, oftentimes we'll, we'll hear it from, uh, you know, from, from founders that are hiring and say, you know, we're really looking for like a press release hire. Like we really want somebody that's got this, this background from Google or what have you. But when you break that down, you know, that's, that's maybe not going to be the, the, you know, an environment that, that carries over. I'm curious to hear it from your end because there is, there is value obviously in tapping your network, you know, recruiting isn't easy. And, uh, you know, if you can navigate that, that personal network, you, you should absolutely do so. But that might also, you know, impact how the culture starts to grow in those early stages. So how have you kind of navigated those waters in the, in the super early stages? Yeah, totally. I think, um, um, the, uh, so first of all, it definitely helped having a network and definitely tapped it and it was helpful. Some of them didn't work out. Some of them have been amazing and like still been like a huge part of our culture building and company building. And, you know, some lessons learned are, I think, you know, like as I go back to my early point about breath versus step, I think you have to actually want to want to work on an early stage company. Uh, the journey is just very different, right? Like, um, you, you need to want to, you know, grind at the problem for a couple of years before there's clarity of like massive success, right? Um, it, it does, it does really take that long before you start to see that sort of sustained product market fit into scale mode. Um, and if you're the kind of person that gets discouraged easily or, or constantly looking for external validation, um, and I think, you know, that's something I look for, which is, uh, what, what is the motivation of this person? Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're trying to build, you know, get the job with the best W2 at the end of the year, startups are not the right place, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, so much of the outcome is so backloaded. Um, and, and, and that's just not what uh, startups can, you know, guarantee or even offer. So I, I often sort of just test for that, right? Which is like, hey, what time horizon are you thinking about? And what are you excited about? Um, and usually I have a signal for that because I've known this person or not. Um, and when I don't, I ask these questions. If I, I know, I kind of, I know uh, those people that I've not reached out, even though I know they're amazing engineers or amazing product managers because they're just not primed for this environment. Right. Um, on the converse side, um, the things that you all, you know, you want people, uh, the, the, the best hires often are people that feel like they've, they've kind of done with big companies too, right? They kind of like walk away with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, right? Maybe they've had massive impact, but they didn't get promoted because it didn't check some boxes. Um, maybe like they're used to uh, an environment without speed limits or bumpers, right? Uh, and they go to a big company, they learn a lot, right? Uh, big companies, you learn what great looks like. You learn, you know, like why does like, you know, some some of the compliance things matter, right? Why do why does it matter that we do X, Y, and Z? 
you'll learn sort of what good looks like at scale. Um, and you can sort of, you know, prevent or skirt some of those issues ahead of time by just seeing that. Um, but at the same time, they're not getting comfortable there, right? Uh, there, there's something about, you know, for like 12, 12, 12 months or so, they've been sort of itching to get out. And, you know, they, so, so to me, the best hires are ones that have like, have explicit reasons that they're done with big companies and then explicit reasons why they're excited about small companies. Uh, Cause that to me, you know, shows that um, they've made a reasoned decision, not just sort of like coming here because I'm here or, you know, someone, some other investor is here. Right. Cause those are all like, you know, external sort of signals. You, you want to look for internal signals. Um, the, you know, there's beyond the network though. I do think, um, you know, we, we do send a lot of like out, you know, we, we made a decision early on to bring on an internal recruiter just because we realized that we wanted to do sort of more thorough recruiting, you know, talk to hundreds of candidates, uh, have a process, even if it means like, you know, we don't hire right away. Um, um, so, you know, beyond the fifth or sixth hire, we decided to bring on a full-time recruiter, uh, generalist that can and hire across a bunch of roles. And, and I think that's something else that I, I, I recommend, which is find sort of, they don't have to be in-house, they can be external, but just one person that can support you for a while so they can see, you know, the best way to convey the, the mission statement, the differentiation. Because what I realized is like just a job ad or just like a cold outreach by like a army of like, you know, sourcers is not enough, Right. Uh, the way we can differentiate ourselves from the big industrial recruiting machinery is that I'll get on a call with the candidate, the first call, right? Um, and and that you know the, the one candidate that you know it didn't quite you know wasn't the right fit for us, but they were just basically like I've never talked to my CTO at my current company, <laughs> right? And, and that was the selling thing for them, right? Which is the personal touch, um, and so so I, I always sort of say. You know, recruiting is going to be uh, 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 sort of a big differentiation in like the way where we can undercut. You know, a big company will take three months to make a decision. We can do that in three to four days. Um, and you know, these are all ways we can distinguish and differentiate ourselves, so that it doesn't just have to be our internal and personal networks. We can actually do the cold outreach and 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 build a, a base there too. When you're talking to to candidates and stuff, like when I think about as you said, with the depth versus breadth, right? And you're growing. I think that's one of those challenges that as you are going through growth, that people act like you're at the company, you're you're used to being like involved in everything. And as you're growing, hopefully you're growing rapidly and you're everybody's becoming more specialized. There are certain people who don't really fit anymore, right? They don't they don't like yeah. that, right? Now you're switching into more of a depth mode. Um, when you're interviewing for people, do you sort of take that into consideration as well in terms of like, is this going to be someone who they're going to be a great fit right now for maybe the next year or two, but then like they, we might be outgrowing them. Maybe they're not going to, you know, that type of thing, because people do have to sort of switch from that breath mode to that depth mode. And it, I don't know that it happens overnight, but you have to be comfortable with that as well at a, at a growth company. Oh, okay. So I thought you were going to ask me the other, other version of that question, which is what happens to the current team members that can flex into the, the depth as you, you can scale? answer whatever question you want. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's also hard. That's a hard. I think on the way in, it's actually an easy question. Um, that's an easier question for me because you want to hire people that can scale with you and in fact help you scale. 
Right. So I think we, you know, uh, we try hard um, not to hire out our desperation. Like if we think one person's going to hit a ceiling in 18 months, that's a bad hire. Right. Um, now, everybody will hit some ceiling, including myself at some point, right? Like there's people better than every one of us in some category. Um, but it better be yours out uh, because we're looking for this person to actually help us find the next peg, right? Not necessarily, uh, or, or, you know, help us in some way find the next peg. So I think on the way in, we are very much like assessing for current skill level and trajectory. And the trajectory, it's, an, it's a judgment call, right? Look, we look at the distance traveled, right? Hey, this person was in a boot camp 18 months ago and look at like their, look at what they're doing, right? In 18 months, they did this. Well, imagine what they can do in the next 18 months, right? So the distance traveled, uh, sort of like a metaphor allows us to project some level of trajectory. Um, and then we also look to see like what kind of support network that they had to get there, right? Where they just sort of like in a team full of senior mentors helping them get there, or are they just sort of like weekend reading and getting better at their craft uh, by themselves kind of person. So those gives us signals for are they, are they going to tap out or are they going to continue scaling? Um, so I think that's an easy one. We generally tend to hire people that we see, you know, four plus years of like, you know, three to four years of impact on the company. Um, but in terms of like the other question that I thought you were going, which is I saw this a lot at Uber where as the company grew, as the business grew, there were people that were very zero to one. They were not very good at, forget the one to N, not even the one to two, right? <laughs> and that's a very hard thing because you now are asking someone that was a founder, a founding team member of something saying, you need to step aside and let this other person run it. Um, and there are you know, times when that went smoothly, times that didn't go smoothly, where we had all sorts of like anti-patterns that you read about, right? Two in a box problem where you give two people the same job and weird things happen because you can't make a decision as a leader. Um, you try to make up a job for the person that was already there. That's a waste of time and resources. Um, yeah, or you try to hire someone way more capable and experienced under someone that's in the seat because they were there first. Um, so that's a really hard problem to refactor. I look at it as a high-class problem to run into, right? Like I'm, I'm looking forward to those problems <laughs> right. because that means we, we've made it and we are hiring people that are better than what we have. But I've seen the anti-patterns there and I have a few sort of proposals and ideas on how to tackle it. But that's a really complicated problem because you're talking about you know people that have put in their blood, sweat, and tears for two years and now you're saying they need to step aside. Mm -hmm. And you but see I this in sports a lot. Yeah. I was just going to yeah, say, I mean, I think one of the things that people don't take into consideration talking about culture is the impact a culture that can have of sometimes keeping yeah. some of those people around, um, trying to find those roles for them. It, it starts right. to create so it, some negative. It's a case by case basis. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I, maybe I, I, I'll, 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 uh, I would love to get Kerry your take on it yeah. from your experience of HubSpot yeah. on that too. But uh, it's definitely a case by case basis. Like I've seen it where, it's literally helped blossom brand new business lines because that entrepreneurial spirit applied to a different problem space now has created another massive business. And I've seen it cause unnecessary churn because now this very popular, friendly person gets moved, a bunch of people go with them. And then now you're like creating this bifurcated org. And 
So, so there's a lot of like examples, and I have some ideas, but I would always say it's like a very subjective case by case decision when you do arrive at these situations because there are people involved and the impact of culture and the org involved. So, I'll hand it off to Carrie. Yeah. Yeah, it's such such a good conversation because the roles and responsibilities, you know, just as you said, room at 30, everyone's got it. You're hiring generalists. You got to be able yeah. to do everything. Yeah. And then it's like, as you grow, you're moving towards specialists. What, what I love to do is keep having that conversation around, you know, there are different leaders and people who are starters, builders, runners, fixers. And yeah. so it's like, you know, if, if you recognize yourself and your strengths and have those good conversations with your leaders around, hey, I am actually that starter person, but they want me to be a runner, like an operator. But, you know, my, my heart really is in that builder. Um, yeah, companies can find places for people who are just like that rather than avoiding the hard conversation with the two in the box or with the un, unclear roles. But I agree. I think that this is one of those problems that literally every startup goes through as they're scaling yeah. in the early stage. It's product market fit once you've got that. It, but it's why you're, you're hiring for curiosity. You are hiring for humility because it's, um, you know, uh, people who and, and creativity. So you need to have that flexibility and a good trust and conversations with people rather than just like fixing your your. Um, hat based off of your title. There are also a very few titles early on and even or like levels or, you know, structures in a, in a small company. Like when I joined Vendor last year, they said, yeah, we have no levels. We have no, we don't have any clear titles. No one's gotten a review in a year. <laughs> we don't even know what to do about that. And I was like, okay, let's, let's help people understand how they're growing because we've gotten to this next phase. So yeah, it is interesting um, to, you have to be, uh, have great trust and great conversations with people, you know, to, to go through those phases. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen it a lot with product roles specifically. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's shown its face of, you know, you were a great, you know, product manager, VP of product, helping us get, you know, product market fit. But when it comes to, you know, doing more of this, you know, next level user research from these different features, it's like, you know, you almost got to fire yourself and know where you add most value and where, where it kind of ends. Um, and then, you know, kind of, you were alluding to some of this, Carrie, and, you know, I'll, I'll, um, quote from, you know, Darmesh, uh, CTO at, at HubSpot was on, a, uh, another podcast and he was kind of talking on this, uh, uh, topic of hiring and how he kind of broke down his hiring framework for measuring people was he broke it into there's creatives. Uh, these are folks that have hundreds of ideas. There's completers. These are folks that, that get projects done, they're very operations focused. And then there's collaborators. And these are folks that are just really good at, they're good at communicating and kind of bridging the gap between different departments. Um, you need to kind of, you know, as a leader, figure out what do you need at that moment for, for the business to kind of move forward. Uh, and, and I just thought that was an interesting framework of breaking that into those, those categories. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Garmesh is brilliant, but absolutely. You need to be really stepping back, looking at the company. What do you need right now? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things we also love to do is strengths finder. And so it's like thinking about the team itself and, and people bring um, strategic thinking. There are also people who are operational, like they get things done. You need all components in a team, not just in one single leader. And so it's really analyzing the team that way. But I love the creatives. Uh, completers and collaborators. 
it's a fantastic framework. Love it. Yeah. Alliteration always wins. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things I learned at HubSpot. I did not know that before I got there. I never really even valued it, but literally alliteration matters because now I'm going to remember that you yeah, know, yeah. over at heart. Like I've said that a thousand times, you know, or customer, company, team, self, it, it, it works. Darmesh it really is the, does. the king yeah. of alliteration. You know, and, and it, it's a, it, you know, I feel like the, one of the things you have to take away from religion is pithy lines, right? Like, uh, and, and they repeat, right? Like repetition doesn't spoil the prayer. Uh, and I feel like that's one thing that I, I apply to culture a lot is like, if you need, if you need ideas to spread, you need to plant like the repeater in people's head. So. Yeah. And that's an easy thing to, you know, um, not understand as an engineer you know we discount no, marketing yeah. and sales that stuff doesn't yeah. matter no it, you're actually selling your own culture yeah. and your team to to yourself and to each other and that is absolutely yeah. how it spreads and especially as you scale you can't be there to be explaining the culture and embodying the culture so these you know these pithy sayings they are just gold mm-hmm. you know how important, because you mentioned sales and, and engineering, how important do you think it is to have very, very similar culture throughout the different departments? Because I've worked at places where there's a sales culture that's very different than the engineering culture. And then generally things get where they meet is not great. And I'm curious um, what your experiences have been with that. Either one, either Carrie yeah. or yeah, Carrie, why don't you go? I would I would start with like overall there should be a you know a tone for the company you know a culture for the company but then in each group you know you you come up with like well what is special to us like mm-hmm. the build in public for vendor you know is very specific for engineers we need to do this to be very transparent and pursue truth kindly but the the higher order vision you know is kindness as a service and making magic and being customer obsessed like mm-hmm. always customer obsessed versus um, organization obsessed. So I do feel like there should be a common theme for the overall company on a, on the culture, how you want to be able to work together. Um, uh, but I do think that you also need your own per function, uh, because there's some very specific things around being an engineer versus being a, being a salesperson. Yeah. But you want them to be able to work together and understand each other and build that trusting bond because it's really about unifying around the customer and the company mission. So if you're, if you're more self-focused, um, you know, only your organization or your team focused, it makes it really hard to actually do the right thing. Yeah, I think uh, this is a hard problem, uh, especially remotely. I, I had a much easier time of this in person just because like, you know, you just sort of like overhear people and like it's just like you know the ambient culture builds. It's much more I think explicitly needed uh, remotely. Um, you know, there's a bunch of ways where we've kind of slipped on this a little bit every now and then. Where it's like I love giving projects cute names, right? Uh, and I say, hey, you're the engineer or the product manager building this. Give it a name. It's your baby. Give it a name, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And we're building something. Uh, it's called Project Casa. Um, something to do with like home feed, right? Uh, and that's a cool name. I didn't come up with it. The person, the people working on it named it. But now I realize like every now and then, like that name can be exclusive to people that are not around, right? Like what's Casa? These guys are always talking about Casa. What's that? Like, I don't know what that is, right? And so that's an example of something where I've realized where 
I want to have the benefit of like people creating ownership and identity for something that they're doing. Uh, I, I know it leads to better outcomes. And also like there's other, other practical reasons why I like code names because it like defers marketing and branding decisions till later. Cause otherwise like, you know, it, it boggles down the actual building phase. You can replace strings anytime, but like it, it, I've, I've realized that if you don't name it, like, uh, uh like something public facing, people get all caught up. So I, I am a big fan of it, but also now we say Casa home feed, right? Mm. We always like say both things. So that a person that may not have been in that meeting or not have read that document still understands what we're talking about. So it's an example of where, um, you know, culture needs to be like, uh, inclusive, I feel. Otherwise you end up creating these little silos without really realizing sometimes. So. Yeah, it's a good point, Mike. That's a, that's something that I think always becomes really a challenge uh, that we've seen too is because, you know, I, I don't have as much input in different departments as like my, my business partner who runs maybe this other area. Um, whereas I'm, I'm over here with the sales and marketing team. And then, you know, we get together for, you know, uh, an all hands on a monthly basis. And it's like, you know, I haven't spent much time with, with these folks in these other departments. Um, I think Carrie, you kind of were touching on it earlier too. I think it's, you know, if there's like this vision that everybody's bought into, I think it's easier when you have like, or like this mission driven kind of company, it's like clean tech, you know, helping to, you know, save the environment or, you know, cut back on water usage because we're, we're building this thing. Um, I think you can find folks that are super passionate and it's like, they're all working towards that common goal. Um, but when you start growing and, and departments start splitting up, it does become a challenge. And, and um, we've seen a lot of companies like earlier stage doing more of like this values-based recruiting where it's like, you know, I'm bringing folks in that kind of share some common values here. And so, you know, regardless, big, big picture, they're going to want to be a part of the company, even if they feel like maybe their department is a little bit isolated, uh, they're still working towards the vision and, and that keeps them engaged. Um, yeah, at, at both HubSpot uh, and a vendor, I have to say, so th there's like a, a monthly meeting, all, all hands meeting. And so just as an example, like what you celebrate, we're celebrating based off of the overall company's values. We do the same thing in, you know, the product design engineering. We also have celebrations around more product design engineering specific values. Um, HubSpot did the same thing, which was quarterly had a, you know, a heart award. Um, and it was for people who went above and beyond in, in these different values, uh, um, demonstrating these values. But it's like being very explicit about it is important. Yeah, those celebrations. Get, get that sword to use. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it just, but it was that um, awards didn't just go to sales. You know, it's easy because yeah. sales is very numbers based to be able to say, wow, yeah. above and beyond for the company and the customer. But it was also about, hey, this person in recruiting, you know, or a person in operations, you know, how they go above and beyond. So you're, so you're intentionally finding opportunities to celebrate everybody um, for those important values for your company. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that was one of the areas where I saw like early in my career, some of the biggest differences were on the celebrations and you'd be on the all hands, the quarterly or monthly all hands. And it would just be kudos to salesperson after salesperson. They won this trip. They're getting this thing, whatever. And it's like, well, yeah. what about all the people who contributed to that win? And there's very little recognition because it's hard to connect those dots. And it, that's what started creating some of this, like some negative cultural things between these two groups, because there's one group that's has this like culture of awards and celebrations 
And then there's this other group that's a little bit more, a little quieter and doesn't have as much. And how do you, as a leader, you, you have to recognize that. And I think you did, I think going all the way back to your pairing, right? Like the champagne and sabers is a great way to celebrate yeah. the quiet wins. Like what, figuring out ways to celebrate things that otherwise fly under the covers. I mean, I've, I've been in charge of lots of infrastructure teams and usually people only know when infrastructure is not going well. It's very rare that anyone exactly. recognizes when it's going well. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send you a saber. <laughs> I highly recommend these things. Send, send me the champagne. Send Mike the saber. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds very, very appropriate. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I feel like we just, you know, scratched the surface here. There's so much, so much um, more that can be discussed. And so we'll, we're going to have a, you know, a, a number of these kind of topics. And um, with the, I think part of the reason like we're, we're really diving into this is we were uncovering, you know, some of those uh, from Fang to founders. It was kind of like the subtopic mm. of like, what, what, what do we see like these differences or what are folks wishing like they need or know, think that they need to unlearn, you know, when they start something coming from big tech. So uh, there's this, yeah, this, this has so many different little uh, directions this could go. So. Um, we'll, we'll have many more episodes on this, but thank you, you both for contributing on this, um, specific part of the topic. Uh, but let's transition into the, the, the last segment here called round out my career. Um, so this is a, a session where, you know, this community wheel behind me with, with topics and questions that are crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. Uh, we're going to give it a spin and kind of, uh, see what the question of the day is. Let's round it out. Oh, it's right on the edge there. Hiring, the is, uh, hiring is what we, we landed on here. So nice. um, I think this, yeah, this plays uh, right into some of what our topic was. So uh, let me pull up some of these questions here. A sec. All right. So. Let's talk a little bit about um, diversity hiring. Um, I think this is a topic that we don't give enough love to. I think there's um, a lot out there that you know companies are trying to create more diverse teams. Um, and you know, DEI, if it's not a part of your your strategy, then you're behind the times at this point. And um, I'd love to hear from you all. What are some of those practices that you've seen uh, help to bring more diverse talent into your environment? Um, you know, it, it could be anything from a strategy to specific organizations or communities that you've tapped into. Um, Arun, I, I know that you've got a lot on this topic just based on, you know, what you, you were doing at Uber at one point. So maybe we'll start with you and then we'll kick it over to Carrie. Yeah, I think... Um... Hiring is hard period, and then on top, on top of it, if you're trying to uh, build a more representative, diverse team, you, you know, it's even harder, um, just because um, it requires more intentionality. And um, one of the things we did um, at Uber um, was I launched a program where we helped convert Uber drivers into engineers. We partnered up with an organization called Pursuit, uh, Pursuit.org, and they have a case study on uh, my team Uber Eats there. Um, and uh, it was an amazing experience. 18 months, we had three people go from driving Ubers, non-technical backgrounds, to being full-time software engineers. Um, and that required a bunch of mentorship and support from people 
uh, in our team, but it was so worth it. Um, because it enriched their sort of experiences and like helping others and I often things like, you know, to teach us to learn. So they got, they became better engineers, mentors, leaders in the team. And then the people that they supported, uh, you know, they ended up passing the same interview bar as any new college grad. Um, so that to me was one way we were able to, you know, accelerate a little bit, take matters into our own hands and, and create, um, a more diverse team rather than, um, you know, we, uh, just uh, while continue to hire more senior roles, um, we said we need to also just sort of you know, build a build the bench ourselves a little bit, uh, and we saw this as an opportunity where we can actually invest in our own uh, driver partner community at that point, and it was an amazing sort of uh, interest level in that. So that's one way that you know it really helped. Um, that said, I, I, one thing I often caution, caution the team against is. Uh, and I've seen this as a downside in many teams is um, diversity oftentimes means people just end up hiring on the entry level um, side of things. And it's super important that you have to overinvest on the leadership and senior levels because that's what keeps, um, that's what attracts people. You know, you want to see people that look like you in leadership roles. You want to know uh, they have their own networks. So I, you know, while we had all, lots of programs to, you know, create new engineers, we also wanted to go after and, and, and attract uh, really senior talent as well. Um, you know, mixed success on both sides, I would say. Like, I definitely don't want to claim that there's a magic bullet here. Uh, but it is something that I would say it, it requires a lot of uh, intentional sort of investment. Over time, what we ended up doing actually was uh, effectively turn out to change all of our outbound for specifically to make the team more diverse. The inbound was sufficiently like, you know, uh, you know, representative, which is like the outbound. We said, let's over invest on the outbound to reach out to specific people, do events, coffee meetings, just to get people to know us. Um, and that human connection really helped. So that's something we tried at Uber and that, that helped a lot. So I love that story. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Carry about yourself. Um, I I can tell you, uh, hiring as Arun said is really hard. Uh, but so what we ended up doing here, uh, vendor to be very intentional about diversity is we have an internal recruiting team that's hiring the best across the whole world, but we also have a targeted team. It's actually an external team. Uh, they're called Leopard FYI, and they're just recruiting women for us. And so what we what we were doing is uh, specifically seeking out and building these relationships with more senior women who haven't been tech leads in the past. And so it's kind of pushing them into that next role. And we really believe that we can help them grow, you know, by taking on these opportunities to be able to help stretch themselves. Because a lot of diversity um, or the research has shown that people don't put themselves out there. They think, oh, if I don't make, match 100% of the qualifications, then I, you know, I don't match or I'm not going to apply for the job. And so we are uh, seeking them out. I love to talk to women. I, I'm very lucky because, you know, they can identify, they can ask me a lot of questions, you know, they can see leaders who have, you know, taken the path that they want to be on. And so it makes it much simpler, but it's like really actively recruiting. And so we did specifically split recruiting um, to be able to make sure that we are, we are adding more women to the team. And that, uh, again, we're looking for people who want to take that stretch and like tapping them on the shoulder. And helping them understand how to negotiate, you know, for good salaries. So we're very much a negotiation company. 
And so it's that, uh, you know, we don't want to be negotiating against people. We want to help people actually uh, do better as well. So um, intentionality, I think, is the most important thing. Another thing we learned, um, Aubrey Brown from Airtable, he's their director of diversity there. He, he uh, is a great partner for us here at Vendor. And what he recommended is honestly, like encouraging your team to expand their own network. So their LinkedIn network to diverse people. So people mm-hmm. that don't match and look like them. And so it's by encouraging your entire team to add more diversity to their own networks actually helps expand the referrals that you get, uh, you know, the, the, um, the talent that you can tap onto. And so it's, again, be intentional, like be a hundred percent intentional. Yeah, that's well said. I, I, um, you know, kind of going back to, you know, some of the earlier points that we were discussing about, you know, how startups scale out in those early stages through that, that, you know, founders network, um, that can be a catch 22, you know, it, it can be helpful for sure of, of getting that access because hiring is hard. Um, but then you start pulling folks in that, you know, look like you or have the same background as you and all have mm-hmm. this computer science back, uh, degree. And, um, you know, that, that is, uh, where, you know, engaging, um, either like a recruiting partner that's intentional, that has strategies around diverse hiring or hiring up and investing in an internal culture, talent person that will make more of a proactive uh, approach to aligning with those partners is, is super important. Um, and so like what you mentioned about like the LinkedIn uh, connections, I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, we, what we do with, within some of our specific searches um, is, you know, putting together very tactful uh, searches on like LinkedIn uh, for, you know, historical black colleges. Right. And it's like, okay, you know, let's go and, and identify with some folks that are coming from these universities that will, uh, you know, be able to add you know, diversity to your teams. And, and, you know, it's a very specific, uh, type of search. Um, and you have to be intentional and proactive about it. It's not just gonna, you know, post a job and, and hope it's gonna sort itself out because it's not going to be a solution. Um, Mike, what about yourself? I'm yeah, so uh, I have, luckily I had some benefit of time to think because Arun took all of my uh, things that I was going <laughs> to talk about, which is the idea of like, you can't just take people, you can't just look for uh, bringing an entry level and building them up. Um, you have to do this like best of, like you have to find people at the high levels, you have to do both, right? Um, but as you were talking, one of the things that occurred to me is, you know, I think people forget and this is uh, that recruiting is actually really a lot like marketing or it is actually marketing. I actually think that you can people argue with me but i think recruiting belongs more like mar- feels more like marketing than like hr and probably belongs there but um when you think about things that you can do is working with your marketing department figuring out things like opportunities to partner with all these great organizations um not with the necessarily with the intent that that's going to help you in that you know recruiting but at the same time there are benefits from doing so from being more involved in, and active with various communities. And there's a lot of these organizations out there. Um, I've done a lot with um, various uh, women in cybersecurity and so on. So, you know, organizations. And um, I think just supporting those endeavors is great. Has that just because that's the right thing to do. But then also there are these benefits of being more involved and in, in being seen in those worlds and being, I think, then thought of as oh, maybe that's a place I'd like to work. 
And so I think yeah. there is, um, it's something to consider is how do you, how does, a recru- how does the recruiting part of your company also make sure that they're working with say the marketing department or some partnerships or whatever else to look for those opportunities. Cool. Yeah. And that's from being at HubSpot. It was a marketing company. They understood that really well. We actually got to 50-50 for incoming college grads and co-ops, a 50-50 ratio and you know much higher diversity overall. But it was about going to colleges like MIT that have those higher ratios, mm-hmm. like being very intentional. And so once you get this really big funnel, um, you can actually hire uh, the best and be intentional about diversity as well. You had asked about like more senior a vendor. This is what we're doing about more senior, but HubSpot is fantastic about building more junior engineers up to through those leadership roles. Yeah, as well. And yeah, it definitely. Really the starts whole, from the whole promoting within. That's the other thing. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, that was and mentorship and sponsorship. Yep. Like and uh, you know putting in things like the Rooney Rule, which is you're only interviewing. You know you're going to make sure that you're going to have to have a diverse slate for those leadership positions. It's really important to think about that. Harder when you're a startup, but uh, you know I'm glad that Arun, you're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. Like it's really important because otherwise you're just going to be building a company that just you know looks looks like you or is yeah. the you know easiest to find, and that doesn't you know. Uh, more diverse teams actually have better results. That's what the research shows. Right. And so it's important to, to be intentional. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's uh, I think that's a wrap. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, spending time with us and um, spitting some knowledge here on, on all things uh, culture. So uh, any, anywhere specific that, you know, you want to shout out like uh, where individuals can find you, feel free to do so now. If it's anywhere on Twitter or LinkedIn, um, go for it. Sure. Um, I, I'll go, you go first, Carrie, please. Sure. Uh, you know, um, on LinkedIn, just reach out. I'm Carrie Hannigan Muntz there, and I'd love to say hello and get connected. Yeah, same here. I'm on LinkedIn, Arun Nagarajan, and then we're hiring at Big Spring. Yeah, we will promote that. And there was also some really good um, uh, uh, organizations that you all referenced, uh, like some of the, I think it was Leopard FYI, um, some of those other partnerships. We'll put those in the show notes. Um, as well when we launched the episode. But again, thank you all so much. I uh, really appreciate you giving back and, and uh, uh, participating. And uh, yeah, let's, let's call it a, a wrap. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.